The first reading is taken from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. We found in the church Bibles in page 1141, or the service sheets, page 6. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, morning. And uh, welcome to December. How did that happen? Um, winter certainly arrived uh, this week, and I came to the conclusion I wasn't very good at uh, dealing with it. Uh, Wednesday morning, frost in the car, um, late for work, obviously, leaving the house. And uh, so I went back to the house, got some warm water in a jug, all the things you're not supposed to do, poured it over the windscreen, cleared it, took the jug back to the house, got distracted, uh, came back out to discover that my nice warm water was a nice thick bit of ice right across the front windscreen, which was better than the other day when I poured the water on while the windscreen wipers were still uh, going. That was a wet journey to work. Um, but uh, enough about my winter stories. Um, we're looking at the Romans passage this morning of the two. Um, I did look at the other passage and then realized that actually this time last year I'd also preached in John the Baptist and uh, I was tempted to do the same sermon and see if you noticed, um, but I'm sure you would have, so we are going to go for Romans this morning. If you can keep your Bible open um, at, it was page 1141, or look in your service sheets as we look at Romans 15, um, that'll be great. Shall I just pray before we start? Dear God, thank you for your word, and, and thank you for this Christmas time, and for the gift of your Son um, that you sent, so that we could be accepted and that great truth that we'll learn about this morning. And just pray you'd help us to listen this morning and, and hear what your word has to say to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So acceptance, that's what we're looking at this morning as we go through this passage in Romans. And it's, it's, a, it's a lovely word, actually. And it's quite powerful in that um, I think sometimes you think of acceptance and it, it, it's sort of the opposite of um, of, I guess, loneliness. It's that idea of belonging, of being part of something. And I think in life we all crave being part of something. So that might be um, maybe at work, you know, feeling part of something or in a team 
might be in a you know social situation or a social club or a sports club, maybe at the school gate, uh, and certainly in church we want to feel belonging and part of something. Uh, and I guess ultimately we want to uh, feel that we belong with God and accepted by Him. There was a basketball uh, player called Wilt Chamberlain. And Wilt played in the 1960s. Um, he was one of the best basketball players uh, ever, actually, a Hall of Famer. And uh, he would average around about 50 points a game. And there was one particular game in 1962. So it was a match between the Philadelphia Warriors and the New York Knicks, and Wilt was playing. And, um, you see, Wilt's only problem was that he was pretty rubbish at throwing from the free throw line. You may not be a basketball fan, but that's where... Everybody's watching you, you're standing in the line, and you're taking your shot. And he had a success rate of about 40%. He was pretty appalling. But in this game, he scored 100 points, more than anybody has ever scored in an NBA match then or since then. 100 points. And from the free throw line, he scored, his success rate was 87%, nearly double. So what changed in that game? What was different for Wilt? Why did he become this amazing free thrower. Okay. You may know the story, but here's the answer. If you look at the picture, this is Wiltz, over seven foot, standing in the free throw line. And what he did that game, which he had never done before, was he threw the ball between his legs and up like this into the basket, like a granny would throw. I've never seen my granny throw, but that's how, you know, that's what it's sometimes called a granny throw. And that's what he did. He threw like this, and he had an 87% completion compared to his 40%. Unbelievable. So the logical conclusion is that he would spend the rest of his career throwing like a granny from the free throw line, but he never did. And in fact, nobody throws that way, and nobody in NBA does throw that way. And the reason is because there's such peer pressure to be accepted, to do what felt like the right thing, that, that nobody did it. Because the perceived wisdom is to throw this way. And even though it's not successful, people don't do it. Because people wanted, those basketball players, wanted to belong and be accepted. And so that sense of being accepted is really strong. It's really strong amongst people uh, and even amongst basketball players. But I think there's a second side to it. If that's about being accepted, there's also, do we accept other people? Um, The other side of the coin and I reckon most of us, you'd say, well, I, you know, I, I try to be open. I'm, I'm not, I try not to be judgmental. I'm not racist or prejudiced or biased. You know, I, I try to accept people. And I, and I am sure that, that you do and that we do. But there was an interesting study done by Harvard University. They, they uh, do this test called, it's called the Implicit Assessment Test. Um, and the results are quite startling Basically, it gets you to put things in two buckets, okay? You have to decide on an online form um, associations, and you have to decide, is it this, is it this? And you go through lots of things that come up on the screen. And what it looks like is how long you hesitate when making that decision. Because when you make the decision really quickly, that's just your default, and you do it. But when you hesitate, it means that there's an association that you're struggling with. So I tried it, okay? I did the age bias test. And, um, and my result was that I was biased. Uh, I had a slight automatic preference for young people over old people. Now, I guess I'd say that. I don't know whether I'm in the young people camp or the old person camp um, as I sit kind of in my middle age nearly. 
But, um, but I had a bias. And these results here are for a million people who did the study. And of a million people, um, 60, sorry, 77% had a bias, a hesitation, a kind of bias uh, where they had a preference for young people um, over old people. And when you look at all the other tests they do, they do it in race and on gender and in a whole series of other things, that those biases are there that people don't realize. It's really interesting. And I guess that's a long story, but my point is that it's hard to accept people. It's hard even when we are conscious of our bias. It's even harder when we have unconscious bias that means that we uh, have a preference for you know, one pe- person or another in that difference. And that's what Paul's looking at. And if you look down at the passage now, um, and the key verse in verse 7, which is this idea where he says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, that, 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 that verse and that, as Paul kind of talks around it. And so the first bit, accept one another. We're going to look at what Paul asks us to do. What, what does it look like to accept one another? Then there's just as Christ accepted you. So why would we want to be accepting in a church context? And then lastly, in order to bring praise to God, which is the what results. What's the the outcome if we do this? Um, And we'll see that as well. So just a bit of context. Chapter 15 of Romans, Paul's been writing this great book, which is full of uh, gospel news for the whole world you know, the great story of Romans. And he's kind of coming towards the end before he moves on to a little bit of admin and 16 and onwards. And in verse chapter 14, he's been talking about this idea that we need to be patient and have unity in the church. And then he moves on to 15. And then then the crescendo of this passage is verse 7, which is the verse I've just read. And so firstly, when we look at that, what does it mean to accept one another? And, and it says um, that that word accept is quite an interesting one. So when Bridget and I have a, let's call it a discussion, right? And, um, and when I realize I'm wrong, which is um, startling in two things, because often I don't realize and uh, often I don't think I'm wrong. But when it does happen, I like to think that I uh, accept graciously. Um, but in truth, I think I probably say, yeah, all right, okay, fine which probably isn't especially gracious. And that's not the sense that Paul's talking about. It's not a, yeah, okay, all right, I accept it. Or, yeah, I accept that person. The word means to, to, to kind of pull in close, to draw people in close. And that's a much more powerful thing. And so what he's saying is, as we, as we look around and as we accept people, it's not a, oh, okay, but it's actually a proactive, we want to draw people close. And he gives us some practical ways of what we should do in this passage. Um, In verse 1, it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not please ourselves. So we who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak. And bear, again, it's not a reluctant putting up with it. It's kind of a carrying and supporting um, those people. But I suppose the logic question is, well, who are the weak and who are the strong? And to be honest, Paul does a really good job of this in chapter 14, which we don't have time this morning. But, but my kind of simple summary is that the strong are those people in a church, I guess, who know that they're saved by God, that they're saved by grace, and they know the essentials, and then they understand that for the non-essential things, they have freedom, and God isn't giving them lots of rules. Okay? So they know the essentials, they're saved by grace, and for the non-essentials, they're free, 
And that's kind of what Paul talks about is the strong. And the weak then, conversely, are those who, for those non-essentials, they are still big deals for them. And they're concerned and worried about those things. And Paul's saying that we should carry the weak and be sensitive and supportive. So those non-essential things, they might be how we worship or what we wear or the movies or the music um, or it might be the types of baptism or the types of church leadership. There's a whole list of things that are non-essential to the gospel, but for some people, um, they are very strong and hold dear. And I know for me, I am weak, definitely, in many of those things. And I think for many people, they are strong in some and weak in the other. And what Paul's saying is that we, rather than trample over people who have those things and kind of you know, exert our freedom in a very, well, you need to get over this way, but we should be sensitive and supportive to that. And that's kind of what he's talking about. We should bear and carry. Christian maturity, you see, it isn't about knowing what freedom is, but it's rather about when we should exercise that freedom. And that's kind of the first thing. As we accept each other, do, you know, do we carry our weaker? Are we sensitive and supportive of people in those circumstances. Verse 1 to 3 then goes on and, and says the second pointer, which is not to please ourselves, to be selfless. Um, each of us should please our neighbors for their good and to build them up. I think that's hard in a culture where, you know, very much we're told um, that we should be assertive, that we should have plenty of time to look after ourselves and to, to have kind of me time. Do you know? And, and actually... This is saying that, you know, we, to accept people, we want to, you know, work to please them and to put them first. Uh, Bridge and I got married in Yorkshire uh, about 13 years ago. Um, I have it engraved in my ring, which is great, so I can remember anniversaries. Um, but it's sometimes embarrassing when I have to get it out and look at it. But the speaker at our wedding was a friend called Rico Tice. Um, and he, he spoke about the hardest instrument... Um, there is in an orchestra to play. Now, I'm not hugely musical, so for me, they all look pretty hard. Um, but the hardest instrument, apparently, according to Leonard Bernstein, is the second fiddle, okay? Second fiddle, hard instrument to play. He said he got loads of people who would play the first violin. That, that was fine. He had plenty of them. But to play the second fiddle well, that was a hard job. And the question Rico said for us at our wedding was that um, our friends and family should ask us, so how's it going playing second fiddle? Because actually, in a marriage and in a relationship, and also in a church, we should look to be that supporting role, not always the first violin, but the second fiddle. Because the clever thing is that the second fiddle, when it's played well, it's where you get the harmony. No second fiddle, no harmony. And so that's what we want to do. And that idea that being selfless um, is a good way of accepting people too. And then then the other thing, verse 4, that he he gives as a pointer, is to be scripture-based. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The Bible gives us a great reference. And as we read it and as we look at it, we understand more about what Jesus has done for us and what we should then do for others. And I think those two words are quite realistic, really. It says, 
that it provides us the endurance, because it is a hard journey, and sometimes accepting isn't easy, but it also gives us encouragement, you know, hope that we will, hope of a great future, and that um, uh, we can do it. So that's some pointers about what, what it means to accept and what it looks like. But then Paul goes on in verse 7 to say um, why we should accept. And there are a few good reasons again in the passage. So I guess the first one is just being more Christ-like. Because Christ um, in Jesus as he came, he was all these things, selfless, sensitive, supportive, scripture-based, all those things Jesus was. And so that's one reason why we should accept people, because that's what Christ did. Secondly, though, um, we see because we've been accepted, and that's the great news about the gospel, and, and the great news that we remember as we come to Christmas, that God sent his son as a gift to the world, that if we accept him, then he will accept us, irrespective of what we might have done. And that's great news. And so because we've been accepted, that's part of the reason why we should then do the same. And then lastly, it's because the people we come in contact with, they have been accepted too. The Bible says that anybody who calls out in Jesus' name, that they will be saved. And so when we, especially in a church context, when we come in contact with people and that they have called out to God, then we should accept them because Christ has done it. And who would, or who would we be to say that, that it, good enough for Jesus, not good enough for Paul. Good enough for Jesus, not good enough for someone else. Do you know, who are we to say that? So just finally then, what, what are the results of that um, as we look at that? And again in verse 7 he goes on to say, accept one another, that's what to do, just as Christ accepted you, that's the why, and then in order to bring praise to God. And that's kind of sprinkled down through the passage. Verse 8, so you may glorify God. Verse 9, to glorify God. Verse 11, to praise the Lord. Because if we as a church are accepting, if we're united, as Paul talks about um, later on, if we're united as a church, then actually God will be glorified. And people will see the difference the gospel can make. So I think sometimes like, Christianity, one of the amazing things about it is the way it can bring people together of all backgrounds. And the way in which when you look around a church and you think, in any other circumstances, you know, we might not all be gathered together, but actually the gospel and the good news about Jesus means that we are belonging, we feel part of this fellowship. And that's a great picture as to how God accepts everybody. So just as I close, um, maybe, maybe you would like um, to get things straightened out with God, to, to know that acceptance that God gives, irrespective of what you've done, and to say sorry and come back to him. And that'd be a great thing to think about as we come to Christmas. Or maybe you've taken that step, and, but, but actually we've been challenged by how we view other Christians and, and about how, you know, are we supportive and not trampling over people's feelings? Are we selfless and uh, are we happy to play second fiddle? And so let's, if we think about the week ahead, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us in those things. And the prayer ministry team are, will be here at the end of the service to, to talk through that, to see how we could get right with God, how we could get right with others. 
So let's go out this week then. Let's know that God has accepted us. And let's accept those who know God. Let's pray. At the end of this passage, Paul prays this prayer. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, just help us this week um, to know that power of the Holy Spirit, to know that we put our trust in you. You will accept us no matter what our past or no matter what our future. And Lord, help us to be people and a church that accept others in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.